I'm Brittany Hardin-Tangway, a manager with KPMG, and I am fascinated by the practice of transfer pricing and its impact on the global market. Join me each episode as I explore the transfer pricing world with specialists who will explain the ins and outs of this niche practice where tax meets economics. Welcome back to Exploring Transfer Pricing. We have another special update episode, and I have rejoining me, Alistair Pepper, a managing director with KPMG US, who actually sits in London. Welcome back, Alistair. Thanks for having me back on, Brittany. Of course, and I'm glad you're here because we have got an update on Amount B. So do you want to give us a, a reminder of what that is and what some of the latest hubbub is all about? So the OECD has been working on Amount B for the past couple of years. Amount B is an effort to simplify and streamline the application of the Amplant Principle to baseline marketing and distribution activities. So it's really thinking about can we make transfer pricing rules a bit easier for routine distribution activities when we know there are lots of disputes today. It's part of the OECD's efforts around Pillar 1, which was originally about addressing the tax challenges, the digitalization of the economy. But as we've talked about before, Amount B has a much broader impact. And it seems from the latest release from the OECD that in fact won't really apply to digital businesses, but will primarily, if not solely, apply to the distribution of tangible goods. How would scoping work for the new proposed Amount B? So in the previous document, we had a very complicated scope criteria with multiple different steps. The scope criteria now has been much simplified. We've got essentially four steps. The first step is you need to establish that the transaction that you want to price using Amount B can be reliably priced using a one-sided transfer pricing method. So this is essentially the type of transfer pricing analysis that we do today and that everyone's very familiar with. The second step is you would look at a tested party's operating expense intensity. Uh, So operating expenses as a percentage of sales. And if they're below a certain threshold, then the entity would be eligible for amount B. The third thing that we would look for is the products or services that the distributor is distributing. And amount B would only apply to the distribution of tangible goods, not services or commodities. For digital businesses, The wholesale distribution of digital goods is potentially in scope for Mount B, but the retail distribution of digital goods and digital services are excluded, which I know is something that lots of digital businesses will be concerned about. Finally, a tested party can also be excluded if it carries on non-distribution activities. So, for example, if it performs manufacturing activities and it's not possible to reliably segment those activities from its distribution activities that are potentially within the scope of Mount B. There's a lot of distributors out in the world. It's a bulk of the transactions that we look at. And so this is slowly paring things down, trying to focus in on what is applied and giving taxpayers the opportunity to select how that's applied. Am I understanding that correctly? Select may not quite be how the OECD (laughs) thinks. I think for them, this is really establishing a framework where they would identify the range of distributors that they consider can be appropriately priced using the standardized methodology that they're developing. There are questions outlined in the document about whether or not this would be a safe harbor for taxpayers potentially, but that isn't something that the OECD is included on. And I think we've heard from comments previously that they still want to define a world that Amount B can apply to and they can say, we've got the right pricing approach in every single scenario. And so this is the approach that you should use, not this is the approach that you can use. Got it. 
So once we've established that a transaction is in scope for amount B, how will that transaction be priced? So the document outlines four different pricing methodologies, but essentially there's a standardized pricing methodology and then three variations with some additional exceptions and wrinkles. The standardized approach sets out a matrix where a business would need to look at which industry grouping they fall in. So there are three different industry groupings uh, varying depending on the normal return that the OECD has established is appropriate for those different industry groupings. And they then need to look at the operating asset intensity and operating expense intensity of the particular tested party or particular distributor that they're looking at. And those three variables are then used and applied in this matrix to work out what return that you should get to. The returns in that standard matrix vary from 1.5% to 5.5% of the return on sales that, that you would expect to see for an amount B distribution. And so having established what number you're looking at for the tested party, you would then test, well, does that tested party achieve that return? If it does, then it's, it's satisfied the standard required for amount B. And if it hasn't, then you would potentially have a, a problem. Okay, so you've got essentially a matrices of places where your tested party could land and there are variations on each of those depending on what it is. So do we touch on local pricing and the risk adjustment? Yeah, so, so I mentioned that there's this standardized approach that is outlined in the document with some numbers. There are then three variations based on geography that are suggested that the OECD is continuing to work on. One is the modified version of the global pricing matrix. And the idea here is that the OECD is looking at returns by jurisdiction. It is potentially identifying some jurisdiction when returns are higher than the global average. And in that scenario, this modified pricing matrix should apply to recognize that and potentially to have higher amount B returns for jurisdictions that meet the criteria that they're still developing. There's a second approach which looks at jurisdictions that are deemed to be higher risk based on their sovereign credit rating. And in that scenario, there again would be an uplift to the standard distribution return to reflect the greater risk of operating in those markets. And there's a third variation that would look to local comparables in a local data set when a tax administration can establish and verify with the inclusive framework that it is appropriate for them to develop and have amount be applied based on that local data set. And what the OECD is clearly still getting to grips with is the fact that countries have got different views about what they think an appropriate return for baseline distribution is, and they've got some rationale and basis that they developed for that, and they're still working out exactly how this standardization process might land, taking that all into account. That's what I was just thinking about as you were saying this. This really does require to be completely effective a buy-in from the local jurisdictions. Of course, there's going to be variation in adoption and coordination with the OECD. Do you have a general sense of how tax authorities are receiving this or any thoughts on that? All tax administrations maintain that their approach to pricing all types of transactions, including distribution activities, is consistent with the Armand principle. But we know that different tax administrations have got different views about what an appropriate return for distribution activities are. The Australians have been front and centre pushing for pretty high returns, at least in comparison to those that you would see in the typical benchmarking set. And I think what we can envisage 
in the negotiations that are going on at the OECD is that those countries that we know have historically argued for high returns are going to be the ones that are looking at this global data set, which is likely to reflect the benchmarking analysis that we as practitioners are familiar with and saying, I'm not quite sure that reflects the returns that I think I should be getting. I think I should be getting a higher return. I think that there are legitimate reasons for me getting a higher return and I need a pricing approach that reflects that. And that's what we're seeing in these three variations to the standardized approach. You've done a great job of outlining the matrices and the modifications. Are there any exceptions that the OECD has made clear for Let's say you are in one of these quadrants and you want to potentially take a different route to test your transaction. There are two exceptions, and it's really important, at least for some taxpayers, that these are there. There's an exception to the general amount B pricing methodology where you have an internal cup or an internal comparable uncontrolled price. So in the scenario where you have a distributor, where it purchases a product from a related party that it resells and where it purchases a comparable product from an unrelated party that it also resells. That would give you a very strong basis through which to price the the related party transaction. And so in that case, the internal cut would effectively trump the amount of pricing methodology. The OECD document indicates that where you've got an internal cut that that would be used instead of the amount B pricing approach where it can be identified. So I think that's an important exception. The other exception is a berry ratio cap and collar. And this is designed to address concerns that the amount B pricing methodology could bring into scope distributors that either are low function and where the amount B return would be too high or high function and where the amount B return would be too low. And the berry ratio cap and collar is designed to provide a mechanism such that in that scenario, there is a quantitative way to identify that the distributor has functionality that is too high or too low and to adjust the amount B return to a more appropriate basis. What status do we anticipate that amount B will have? That's something where the document really isn't clear. There is a section on implementation status that has got placeholder written in it and a footnote that says the OECD is continuing to reflect on what the implementation status should be. There's clearly consideration about whether amount B would be a safe harbour. Would that be a traditional safe harbour that would be one where it would provide certainty to taxpayers if they were within scope? Would that be a slightly different safe harbour? It's, it's not entirely clear. Or would amount B be a mandatory or prescriptive approach where if a taxpayer was in scope, it would be required to apply amount B? That's clearly something that countries are continuing to discuss at the OECD and on which we don't have certainty at this stage. So at this stage, we realise there's still a lot of uncertainty. We'll bring you back on as soon as we get more information. But in the meantime, what should businesses that are potentially going to be impacted by amount B be looking to do? So we've got a consultation period that runs through to the beginning of September. We now have enough information in the amount B consultation document for businesses to think about what would the implication of this be for me if I was in scope. I think there's enough information both to give a pretty good sense of whether or not you're potentially impacted, but also then to look at what the return, the amount B return would be for your distributors and to think about 
Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? For some businesses, it may be that actually the certainty that this will provide would be a really positive thing and something that they would strongly support. For other businesses, it may be that their particular facts and circumstances mean that this standardised approach that Amount B is seeking to develop doesn't deliver outcomes that are consistent with the Arvind principle. And I think both of those things are feedback that the OECD would be very interested in hearing and which would likely shape the work that the OECD will continue to undertake uh, as it seeks to reach a conclusion on Amount B by the end of this year, which is and remains a very ambitious timeline. As much as we know that the entire intention behind all of this is to help simplify things, I think that this just speaks to the complication of intercompany cross-border transactions. A lot of factors to consider with jurisdiction, like where these transactions are occurring, what your facts and circumstances are, how bundled your services and tangible transactions could be. It seems like this really is something where each industry, each taxpayer is really going to need to reflect on what it is that they're doing to figure out where they stand. So this is incredibly insightful and gives us a lot to think about. I think we're going to be very busy (laughs) going through the end of 2023 and uh, appreciate you taking the time to update us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on as always. Thanks for joining me on this adventure in transfer pricing. See you next time.